1 Samuel chapter 31 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 31. We're going to read a couple of different passages in our scripture as we continue this morning in our study of, of uh, lessons we can learn from the life of David. And we'll start with 1 Samuel chapter 31. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair underneath of you or should be very close to you there. And it'll be the same translation I'm reading from this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 31. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons. And the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him. And he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan. And they came to Jabesh and buried, burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree of Jabesh and fasted seven days. Jump over to 2 Samuel chapter 2, and let's just read a few verses there. 2 Samuel chapter 2. It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, and David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household, so they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. One more passage, jump to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel. And Judah, and the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you. 
thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. Now David said on that day, whoever climbs up by way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul, he shall be chief and captain. Therefore they say the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Then David dwelt in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built all around from the millow and inward. So David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. Then Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David a house. So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for all that we've experienced in this service, but we pray now our hearts and our minds to be attuned to your word. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. We believe in the Holy Spirit, Father. We pray for his power today. We pray for his filling to speak and his filling to hear. I pray, Lord, that you would have your way. Teach us today. Lord, whatever purposes you have for this message, fulfill them today in each of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you this morning just for a few minutes on the topic, ascending the throne. Ascending the throne. You know, if, as some have suggested, David was as young as 12 years old when he was initially anointed by Samuel, and that seems to be the case. And if he's 30 now when he takes the throne... In Israel, according to chapter 5 and verse 4. Then it has taken 18 years from the time when he was initially anointed to be king until the time when he finally ascended to the throne. And even then, the ascension to the throne was not a quick process. Uh, Notice that Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle. We read about that in chapter 31. Their bodies were mutilated and displayed on the walls of Bethshan. And just one more commercial. If you go with us to Israel, you will stand in the midst of Bethshan. And every time I stand there, I look around and I wonder, where were those bodies hanging? Because somewhere right there is where that took place. But anyway, then David began to reign in Hebron, 2 Samuel chapter 2 says. And according to 2 Samuel 5, he reigned in Hebron for seven years and six months. But he wasn't reigning over all of Israel at that point. He was only reigning over Judah. So he hadn't totally ascended to the throne yet. Only over the southern portion. And during those seven and a half years, there was all kinds of intrigue. We skipped all those passages in 2 Samuel chapters 2 through 5 when Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, was kind of the puppet king of the northern kingdoms. Abner had propped him up and he was reigning. And there was all kinds of intrigue and unrest. And finally, Ishbosheth was assassinated. And then all Israel came to David in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and asked him to be king over all of the land. And so if you add everything up, all of those passages that we read. You'll see that it had taken approximately 25 years, if David was anointed when he was 12, and we think he was, approximately 25 years from that day when God said, you'll be king, until the day when he finally found himself king and sitting on the throne. But the interesting thing is that in spite of the fact that it took 25 years, which might have seemed like a tremendous time between the promise and the realization of the promise, I think it's important for us to recognize that what God said he would do, he did do. It took a long time, but he did do it. And I think David's ascension to the throne, has all kinds of lessons, no doubt, but I think his ascension to the throne is primarily a reminder to us that what God promises, he is able to do and he will do. And we need to trust him in that way. 
I want to share three different thoughts along those lines, three different lessons that I think we can learn from David's ascension to the throne. Number one, the Christian life is a process. Christian life is a process. And number two, no matter how long it takes, no matter how many troubles we might encounter along the way, what God has promised he will perform. And finally, number three, nothing is unconquerable for our God. Let's think about those three lessons this morning, just for a moment today. First of all, the Christian life is a process. From the moment David was anointed by King Saul, you know, he positionally was king. He technically was the king. In the mind of God, he'd been anointed as king. He was the one God had chosen to be king. And he would eventually be on the throne. It was just as real as if it was actually happening. But he didn't immediately ascend to that throne. Rather, he spent a long period of time as God dealt with him in various ways before he actually became in state what he already was in standing. And you know, I think that's a wonderful picture of the Christian life. Because when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, we immediately, in standing, become absolutely perfect in the eyes of God. Absolutely perfect. Do you know that? Whole, complete, but in state... We continue to live in these sin-sickened bodies. And so we will continue until the day that the Lord calls us home. And only then will our state, will we become in state where we are in standing. You know, this coming week is a very special week for me. Because on May 3rd, 1970, was the day that I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. And every time that time of year comes around, I start looking around up here and I try to remember exactly where that took place. I know that I came forward in this church and knelt somewhere, didn't look exactly like this then, and trusted Christ as my Savior. And you know, it's coincidence, isn't it, that I was 12, the same age that David was when he was anointed as king, that it was just a wonderful day. You know, some things happened when I did that. Some wonderful and amazing things happened. I became a child of the king. I became a a, a citizen of heaven. I was redeemed. I was born again. I was converted. Uh, I I had a home uh, started for me in heaven. All, All kinds of wonderful things took place. I went from being eternally damned to being eternally saved and secure. I went from being lost to being found. It was all kinds of wonderful things took place on that glorious day. May 3rd, 1970. I was once a sinner, but I came. Pardoned to receive from my Lord. It was freely given. And I found that he always kept his word. What a great day. I hope you've all had such a day. And if you haven't, let me suggest today's a great day. And it could happen for you today as well. But you know what? As great as that day was, and it was a great day, all kinds of good things happened. But you know what didn't happen? Absolutely nothing happened to this rotten body that I'm walking around in. I woke up the next morning, which was May 4th, 1970, which some of you might remember there was some small thing going on in Kent State at that time. But I woke up that next morning and I found out I was still living in that same rotten body. And as time went on, I continued to learn and experience that the sins, the difficulties, the Thoughts, all of those things, they were still there. I learned that I was still a sinner. And all my tendencies toward evil were still there. And you know, it's the same for all of us as Christians, is it not? 
When we come to Christ as Savior, we are immediately and forever saved. We are justified, the Bible says. We are made right with God. Because when God looks at us now, He looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we now have a standing with Him which is perfect. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's why he said to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But you see, the thing is, the Christian life is a process. It's a process. The Bible word for it is sanctification. From the moment of our salvation until the day God calls us home, we are progressively becoming in our state, what we are from the moment of salvation, in our standing. It's a process. You know, I think that's one of the things that is pictured here by David's 25 years between the time he was anointed until the time he finally realized that throne. Well, let's take it a step further. Let's think of another lesson. The Christian life is a process. But think of this also. No matter how long that process takes, No matter how long it takes, no matter how many troubles we encounter along the way, what God has promised, he will perform. What he has promised, he will perform. Can you imagine how discouraged David must have gotten from time to time? I mean, 25 years is a long time. Some few of us in this room haven't lived quite that long. Most of us have. But can you imagine how discouraged he must have gotten from time to time during that? Oh, there have been moments of victory for sure. Think there were some good things happened. It was during that 25-year period of time that he had the wonderful victory over Goliath. You'd think that that particular victory would have carried him a long ways. And there were others, other good things that happened. It was during that 25-year period when people would sing, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has ten thousands. It was during that period of 25 years when he defeated 200 Philistines and won the hand of Michael, his bride. It was during that 25-year period of time that he served in the palace of Saul as his musician and comforter when he was over all of the armies of Israel. Even after he was forced to flee the palace, there were moments of victory over the Philistines, over other enemies. And there was the joy of people joining themselves to him. Even when he was in the wilderness, a vast number of people surrounded him. He had quite a following. It was during that 25-year period that he met Abigail and Ahinoam wives. But in spite of those good moments, I'm sure that during those 25 years, and we've read some of it as we've studied this, I'm sure that there were days when David got discouraged, when David might have wondered, good grief, it's been 25 years, is the promise that he made. Clear back there when Samuel anointed me, is it ever going to happen? Is it ever going to happen? But mark it down. No matter how long it takes and no matter how many troubles we encounter along the way, when God has promised something, it will take place. The day did come. David did take the throne, just as God had promised. Any doubt that might have arisen during that 25 years, it wasn't in the mind of God. It was all in the mind of David. God knew exactly what he was doing all along. And you know, he may still be working on you. He may be still making you what you ought to be. But the fact is, God is going to accomplish in your life what he wants you to. He is going to complete the work that he set out to do in you. It's that time of year, is it not, when some are graduating. Some are graduating from high school. Maybe some from college. And I would imagine, actually you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine 
that there were times along the line when you wondered if you'd ever make it there. Did you ever wonder that? Okay, bad example. <laughs> Will I ever make it? I would imagine some think that way. I would imagine that Amy, as she's struggling through her master's degree, probably wonders, will I ever get there? But the fact is, the day does come. And when that long period of preparation and struggle comes, it suddenly seems worth it, doesn't it? Imagine, imagine the day when the trumpet sounds. Imagine the day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine the day when we see his face. The songwriter said it will be worth it all. And oh, it will. That's why Paul could say to the Corinthians, I... Thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. That you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance, all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's also why Paul could say to the Philippians, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's why David could sing in Psalm 138 and verse number 8, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. So no matter how long it takes, no matter how many troubles we may have to go through on the way, just as David learned in his 25 years, so we learn that what God has promised, he will perform. One last lesson I would suggest to you, number three. Nothing is unconquerable for our God. Nothing is unconquerable. You know, David, during his 25 years of preparation and wandering, he met some unbelievable foes, didn't he? And in every case, he came away from the, spirit, the experience knowing that that foe wasn't too strong for God. He learned it in chapter 17 when he stood eyeball to eyeball with Goliath. Maybe more like eyeball to kneecap, I'm not sure. But when he stood and faced down Goliath. And he watched God defeat him. He learned it through the years of fleeing from the armies of Saul, did he not? As God delivered him time and time again. And now here in the passage we just read, we see him learning it one more time. As he sees the unconquerable city of Jerusalem fall before his very eyes. You know, it's interesting. Isn't it? I, I don't think I had ever really noticed this before. That Jerusalem had been unconquered up to this point. They had never been able to conquer Jerusalem. It hadn't been conquered under Joshua. Joshua chapter 15 says, As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Joshua couldn't do it. Not under the judges who succeeded him in that long period of time. Lots of battles. Not even during that time could Jerusalem be conquered. Judges chapter 1 and verse 21. The children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. That city stood on that hill. And those people, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the Jebusites, talked to all those who came around and said, we are unconquerable. This is an impregnable fortress. Matter of fact, they said, this city is so untouchable that it only takes the blind and the lame to defend it. It can't be defeated. 
That city was a picture of a true, true stronghold, an impregnable fortress, an unconquerable foe. One man said the very fact that Jerusalem had remained Jebusite indicated its security and defensibility. Another said it was strongly fortified and deemed so impregnable that the blind and the lame were sent to man the battlements in derisive mockery of the Hebrew king's attack and to shout, David cannot come in hither. Oh, but in God's time and with God's help, David went in thither and he defeated Jerusalem because nothing was unconquerable for David's God and nothing is unconquerable for mine and nothing is unconquerable for ours. I wonder this morning if there's something in your life that seems like an impregnable fortress, some sin, some difficulty. Are there things that you fight against or things that you wonder if you will ever have victory over? Years ago, and I've probably mentioned this story a few times in the past, it made an impression on me as a young man. Years ago, as a member of this church, I remember invitations being given. And I remember one time a young lady, and I've long since forgotten her name. I'm not sure I ever knew it. I only remember her for one reason, and that was these invitations. The invitation would be given, and I recall her coming forward one time. And she was holding aloft a pack of cigarettes. That was her demon. That was her problem. She thought that a sin in her life, and she wanted victory over that. She came forward to the invitation, and she laid that pack of cigarettes in the and she knelt there and she prayed and asked for victory. And we prayed with her. And she got up from that altar, tears streaming down her cheeks, smiling, feeling the power of God as she had gotten victory over that. And she returned to her seat. A few weeks later, the invitation was given. And here she came. Back of cigarettes held high, coming forward, laying it on the altar. And so it went. Week after week. And I remember it to this day. You know, we all have our Jerusalems. The devil sets it on a hill before our eyes. Whispers in our ear, you will never defeat this. Unconquerable. But the fact is, my brother and my sister, victory is around the corner, and no matter how long it might take, even if it takes all of our life on this earth, that impregnable fortress will be defeated. It is defeated. The Jebusites will fall, and victory will be yours. Jesus will crush Satan under your feet shortly. One day you will see that your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. We believe it by faith now, but once you will see it with your eyes. One day we'll experience it in reality. We'll know that our sins have been buried in the deepest sea, cast behind the back of God. We'll be reminded, as David was, as he walked into that vanquished city of Jerusalem, that nothing is unconquerable for our God. Well, Warren Wiersbe summed up all of these events in the life of David, and he summed it up like this. He said, David's road to the throne covered many years and many trials. But throughout that journey, he put God first. And he never sought vengeance or retaliation against Saul. And God saw to it that David was protected and promoted according to his time and plan. And he will do the same for us if we will but trust him. 
Even though at times David must have grown discouraged, he must have grown weary. No doubt he learned that what God promises, he is able to do. And he will do. The Christian life is a process. No matter how long it takes and no matter how many troubles we encounter along the way, what God has promised, he will perform. And nothing, nothing, nothing is unconquerable for our God. The songwriter said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin Not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound. The Lord shall descend. Even so it is well with my soul.